There are a couple of verses that we visited last time and made some comments upon. Verses 16 and 17 in particular, where Paul writes, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Last time we were discussing the issue of God's Word and our worship. We spoke about the Word of the Lord and commented that the Bible in its entirety is the Word of Christ. And it is to have a residence within us. The word is to be dwelling in us. That means to be at home in our hearts. And then the result of that is the wisdom that it produces. And that is not just wisdom in our minds and our intellects, but wise behavior. It makes us to be wise. The word of the Lord. Then we talk about the worship of the Lord. And particularly focusing on the words in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We talked about why it is that we sing. Why do we sing? Well, we sing because there's a need for teaching, instruction, edification of our hearts and the hearts of others. And therefore we have to sing truth. And we are also to be involved in thanksgiving. Rendering praise to God. That's why we sing. But there's also what we sing. And I commented that this is somewhat of a controversial topic among believers. And we'll come back to this in just a moment. But we not only mentioned what we sing, psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, but the way we sing. And there are at least two things to note regarding that in verse 16 you can note there the attitude of worship that we should have singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord or as it is in Ephesians 5.19 singing with melody in your heart there's the attitude of worship and surely that must be a rebuke to joyless worship sometimes we can be singing without joy unto the Lord that's not good we should rejoice with singing as the psalmist puts it. There's the attitude of worship, but there's also the aim in worship. Our worship, including our singing, is to be God-focused and God-centered. We're worshipping Him. We're not worshipping ourselves. We're not worshipping one another. We're worshipping the Lord. And therefore, this is a rebuke to much of what... uh, purports to be Christian music in the day in which we live, which is really more entertainment than anything else. And that's something that I think is sad. That's something that seems to be becoming more and more common. That churches are taken up with the wrong kind of music. I have noted, even in some supposedly reformed circles 
that when you see the preacher coming out to the front, the backdrop is the drum kit and the electric guitars and the samba drums and all of that stuff. And I'm thinking to myself, this is supposed to be a reformed church. This is supposed to be a New Testament Protestant church. And this is what they have for their so-called music. That's the day in which we live. And you'll find that many services are 90% music. And if you're fortunate, 10% of the word or something like the word. So many churches like that today. It's really a gathering for entertainment purposes. That's how it seems to be. Now I want to talk a little bit more about this tonight because it is a hot button issue. We need to be careful as believers, very careful about those things that we look at and those things that we listen to. Because you see the devil is very much involved in what we look at or can be. And he can be very much involved in what we listen to as well. He will use the eye gate, he will use the ear gate, ear gate to insert things into our minds and our hearts that are not good. Of course, of all the sounds that we hear, music is probably the most prominent and it is certainly the most influential. Music forms a large part of the recreational listening of most people. A lot of folks just can't function without the earbuds. They can't function without music playing somewhere in the house or somewhere in the car. Now there's nothing wrong with that per se. As long as what is being played and listened to is wholesome. But in this context it's really important to understand the effects of music. And it is important that we take great care in our selection of music to listen to. Music is mentioned a lot in the Bible. It was very important in Israel. You go back in your Bible to Genesis chapter 31. Just for instance, Genesis 31. And verse... 27, and there we read these words, Wherefore didst thou flee away secretly, and steal away from me, and didst not tell me, that I might have sent thee away with mirth, and with songs, with tabret, and with harp? Music. Music was used in biblical times, in both social and religious occasions. Turn over in the Pentateuch to Numbers chapter 21. The book of Numbers chapter 21. And note with me verses 17 and 18. Then Israel sang this song, Spring up, O well, sing ye unto it. The princes Dig the well, the nobles of the people digged it by the direction of the lawgiver with their staves. Israel sang this song. You go back to Exodus chapter 15. You'll discover there that Miriam and the rest of them were involved in singing a song unto 
the Lord. Exodus chapter 15 and verse 1 begins, Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. Notice the mention of singing and of the song. And once more, in 1 Samuel chapter 18, you have an example of what I'm talking about. 1 Samuel chapter 18, and verse 6 and verse 7, a very famous incident. And it came to pass as they came, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy, and with instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played, and said, Saul hath slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And there are many other examples in the Bible of music and singing. The book of Psalms is filled with references to singing and instruments. You'll see that in the temple worship, instruments were used. There were special people who were set aside to sing the songs of the Lord. There were those who led the singing. Asaph, for example, was a chief uh, leader of song. Music has powerful effects upon the minds of its hearers. And again, I want to give you a biblical example of this. There are examples in life, but in the Bible you have examples of it. 1 Samuel chapter 16 Verse 23. And it came to pass, when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul, it was kind of a depressive feeling that he had, that the Lord had visited upon him. It says that David took an harp and played with his hand, so Saul was refreshed and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. Now, I do not subscribe to the view that this was an evil spirit in the sense of a demon from hell. That's not what it means. It was something that God put upon Saul as a chastisement or a judgment. He was downcast. He was even depressed. He was distressed. He was feeling bad. And that bad feeling went away. How? When David played his harp, Saul was refreshed, and he felt well. And the evil spirit, the bad feeling, if you like, departed from him. Have you ever had that happen to you? I have. There have been times whenever I have not felt all that great, and I've listened to a nice soothing piece of music. I've really started to feel quite good then, because it has that calming effect upon you. I should probably do that when I'm fiddling with Facebook. It'd be a good thing to do. It takes away that bad feeling and you start feeling quite good about things. This is a serious point though. Music can have a powerful effect upon your mind. It did with Saul. And of course it can have the opposite effect as well. Not just a good feeling, 
not just a good result or a good effect. Obviously good music is beneficial, but bad music is harmful. Now I've heard people say, even Christians and ministers, that music is amoral. In other words, it's neither good nor bad. It's just neutral. And what really matters is the words, not the music. That is totally false. That is completely false. And you will know in this life that there's music that can be relaxing and there's music that can get you all jittery. Have you ever found when you get onto an airplane, if you've ever traveled on an aircraft, that they're usually not playing acid rock or heavy rock music when you're about to take off? you ever notice that? When you're sitting in the lounge about to get on the plane, it's nice and soft, easy listening music. Why? Because they're trying to produce a certain effect. I don't know how often you've gone to the dentist, and when you're just about to go into the dentist's office, there's this loud banging rock music going on, you're already jittery and you're thinking, no, I don't think I'm going in there today. No, any dentist has got a bit of sense is going to be playing real nice, gentle, soothing music, make people feel all relaxed before they go in to face the drill. Music has effects. It can be very relaxing. You find that in certain restaurants. Some I know are... They don't care, but some restaurants actually do care what music they play and it will fit the people who are there, the clientele. They want to create an ambiance. Isn't that the word they use? They want to create a certain ambiance for people that are there. You have a place that's frequented by couples who like to go for romantic dinners. They're not playing this loud, banging, wild stuff. It's usually nice romantic type music because music has an effect it can be relaxing it can create tension and excitement there's good music and there's evil music I have a book at home and in there there are several examples of how music has had effects on animals and even on plants my wife talks to the plants I don't know about you, but she speaks to the plants. And there's a lot of people who do that. There's an experiment that was done many years ago. This is a true story. They played relaxing, nice music where all of these plants were. They played heavy rock music and it had an effect upon the plants. More than that, it had an effect upon laboratory mice. There were mice that they played this relaxing music. They acted in a certain way. When they played this other kind of more harmful music, the mice were all over the place. They were going nuts. Those are facts. Research has been done on this matter, even by people that are not Christians. You know, advertising agencies look at these things. When they're going to sell a certain product, they use a certain type of music to sell it. You will know this from TV commercials, from things that you hear on the radio. They're going to sell a certain product. They use a certain type of music to do so. And music can be intrinsically evil and have evil 
effects. There are certain clubs of ill repute, and you know the kind of music they play in those clubs. Because there's sensual activity taking place there. Not that I know anything about going into those places, I hasten to add. But I know that that's true. In James chapter 4, verse 4, we read this statement. And of course it is a general statement, it's not just in relation to music. But it certainly does fit the bill. James 4 verse 4 Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. There's that which will lead us on to God, there's that which will lead us away from God. And you will know, I'm sure, that there are songs that are sung in this world that are deliberately concerning ungodly activities. They sing songs about sin, about sinful activities. You know the term rock and roll? It was coined by a disc jockey, I believe it was in the 1950s, And it was a term that was euphemistically used to describe premarital sex. Rock and roll. Did you know that? That's the etymology of it. Many rock groups, many rock singers will freely admit that a lot of the lyrics that they use are deliberately suggestive. They are deliberately provocative. They sing about things that are a disgrace if they were to say it in normal words, but because it's hidden behind songs, they get away with it. And that's not just true of rap, so I hate calling it music. It's not music, it's just noise. But there are people who call it, they describe it as rap music. Some of the lyrics are unbelievable. Have you ever been sitting at a traffic light and the guy next to you His windows aren't even down and you can hear what he's playing. And you can hear the lyrics. And there are rap songs that are laced with profanity. The F word all the way through. All the way through. You say, well I'm not going to be listening to that. Okay, maybe you're not. But there are some Christians, believe it or not, who think that it's okay to take that medium, that particular medium, and try and wrap the gospel. There are some characters that have been involved, such as Shai Lin, is one name that comes to mind, and they have wrapped the shorter catechism. Can you imagine? Now, taking that which comes from an evil source, if you study the origins of rap music, it's from the jungles of Africa. They're taking that and trying to apply it in a Christian way. And that brings me to this. CCM. An acronym for Contemporary Christian Music. This is a real problem in the day in which we live. I would suggest it's becoming a greater problem all the time. In the lives of Christians and in churches. Here's the question. How do we decide what's good Christian music and what is bad 
Christian music. How do we decide what's good church music and what's bad church music? Well, look again at the text here. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16 and 17. The 17th verse is really important in this connection. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So the implication here, in fact the direct statement is that the word of Christ should be in the psalms, the hymns and the spiritual songs. Singing truth. Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. So whatsoever you do, including your music choices, let it be done as unto the Lord. Some years ago, there was an article that was placed in the Canadian Revivalist, printed by Dr. McClelland, our minister in Toronto. And under this particular heading, listen to the words, it says, in advance of the special service reported on page 2, this is a service he was talking about uh, that was taking place, I received a letter telling me that before I dared to criticize, quote-unquote, Christian rock, I should, quote, listen to the words. We sent out to a Christian bookstore for a well-known well-liked album with words printed on the jacket. We were given one that is, quote, number six on the Christian hit parade, unquote. In the meeting, we played one song, and afterwards I asked the audience what was the main theme. No one could tell me. Because the words were unintelligible in an instrumental jungle that was no different from the world's rock music. And a further analysis of the 11 songs on that particular album revealed that the Bible doctrine in them, Dr. McClellan said, could be accommodated comfortably on the head of a pen. In other words, there was no real doctrine in it. There are some fundamentals about Christian music that we should always think about. And I think they're hinted at here in this portion, certainly spoken of in this portion under as many words. It should be doctrinally correct. It should be doctrinally correct. That is, it should contain at least some of the great themes of Scripture, the holiness of God, the depravity of men, the sacrifice of Christ, salvation by grace, salvation through faith in Christ. And in many of these modern offerings, none of those great themes appear. Some of these songs that you will hear betimes are more like a love song from one lover to another rather than singing to the Holy Lord God. They're very sensual. They're very fleshly in their tone. It should be doctrinally correct. Another thing, it should be uplifting in spirit. Uplifting in spirit. I don't mean that it makes you feel good. I mean that it lifts your heart toward the Lord. Notice the words here, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Or as it is in Ephesians 5.19, singing 
with melody in your heart to the Lord. There's a song in the heart. Spiritual songs are those that lift us up toward the Lord Jesus by focusing our attention upon Him and upon the great themes that concern Christ, who He is, what He has done. Look at some of the hymns of the faith from past generations, the, what I call the old hymns. Notice how filled with doctrine they are. Notice how much they exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice how they speak of His saving work and about Calvary, about the cross, and about redemption. Focusing our attention upon the Lord, our thoughts are going to be turned away from the earthly, the carnal, the depraved, and turned to the heavenly, the spiritual, and the divine. There's very little in the CCM orbit that falls into that category. There's something else here that's really important, which is just as important as the other two I mentioned. It should be doctrinally correct. It should be uplifting in spirit. It should be performed in a manner that exalts Christ. Or sung in a manner that exalts Christ. A lot of times you have some of these events where artists, with an E-S on the end, appear. And it's clear that what's taking place is the exaltation of man or women as the case may be. It's all about these great stars of the CCM world. And let me tell you, there's big money in it. Huge, huge money in it. Even more so than some of the secular equivalents. There's a book that I have at home. In fact, I have two books by him by a man called Dan Lucarini. Uh, in which he exposes the whole Christian contemporary music scene. And he can do that very well because he used to be a worship leader. He used to be very much involved in the CCM at scene. He knows what he's talking about. And he's made it very clear that a lot of what is called Christian music is nothing of the sort. It is neither performed in a reverential manner nor does it bring glory to Christ. Someone said this, can you imagine the Lord Jesus prancing over a stage, gyrating with a microphone almost in his mouth, delivering at maximum volume a song in the manner of the ungodly worldly musician? I can't. We need to beware. We need to beware. Christian music should please God rather than men. That's the purpose of it. It is to please the Lord. Why do we sing? We're back to that. Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Verse 17. Giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. It's God-centered. It's God-oriented. It's in a Godward direction. Whatsoever you do, in word or deed, the Bible says... 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 31 Do all and to the glory of God. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory 
of God. In verse 10 of Ephesians 5, the verse that we began our Bible reading with, it simply says, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Is it acceptable unto the Lord? Is it appropriate for the worship of a holy God? You should ask yourself that question. Would God be pleased with my musical choice? Over there in Revelation chapter 5, we're confronted with a heavenly scene. We have a window into heaven. Wouldn't you want to be doing things the way they do in heaven? Wouldn't you want to worship the way they worship in heaven? Well, how do they worship in heaven? Revelation chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. Now read on. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain. They're singing about the death of Christ. They're singing about his suffering. And hast redeemed us to God by thy blood. They're singing about his blood. Out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And you can read on in the book of Revelation. And find that this is the kind of theme. That is on the lips of those who are in glory. In Revelation chapter 15. There's a vision of that which takes place in heaven. Those that are standing on the sea of glass, having the harps of God, what are they doing? Revelation 15 verse 3, And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. That's Jesus saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy. For all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. Christian music should please God rather than men. Again, Christian music should communicate truth rather than be geared toward entertainment. I think too much of today's music, I'm speaking about church music, seems to be about entertainment. Oftentimes truth is either hidden altogether or it's almost absent. And sometimes people feel that if I can get something that's as close to rock music, it's as close to the world style music as I can get it, then that would be good. That seems to be the MO of a lot of people today. Let's get it to sound just like the stuff we listen to in the secular world. And of course that will attract the young people. That's the argument, isn't it? That will attract the young people. So here, ha- here we have young people. They go to their rave parties. They go to their... Well, I suppose they don't have discos now. I'm showing my age. But they have these 
occasions when they get together and they have this loud banging music and they're going nuts. Some of it drug fueled. And that kind of music, people think, well now if we could bring that into the church, then we can get these young people into church. That's the idea. We'll get them into church. So all you're doing is giving them the same thing as they get in the world. And you're trying to put some sort of a Christian flavor to it. The problem is that the message and the medium don't gel. The message and the medium are antithetical. I've likened it in the past to a woman in a skimpy bikini standing at the front of a church and telling people what Jesus has done for her soul. It doesn't work. That's what rock music is. It's the equivalent of sensual, ungodly dress. Except it's music. Christian music should communicate truth rather than be geared toward entertainment. And therefore it should emphasize the message and not the musician. Just imagine some of these occasions. There's all these, I guess they're still called strobe lights. You have all these spotlights. And every performance is accompanied or at least followed by applause and cheering. And they're bringing down the rafters with great excited cheering. There's no reverence. There's no humility about it. It brings attention to the performer and not to the Lord. That's the way it is. That's why people are described as gospel artists, as performers, even stars. But they're supposed to be Christians. And they mix the gospel, supposedly, with some of them, with a rock and pop career. There are what are called crossover artists. You've heard of them? You know what a crossover artist is? It's somebody who has the top ten in the world's secular charts and also in the Christian charts. People like Amy Grant. She was one from some years ago. But there's plenty of others just like that. The best of both worlds, all these Christians over here buying their albums with the gospel so-called emphasis and then there's the secular ones. Trying to mix the world with the church. One foot in each camp. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It means the Lord is really added on as a kind of an optional extra in what is effectively a rock or pop career. Back in the Old Testament, in Psalm 137, there was a question that was asked, and it follows these words By the rivers of Babylon, There we sat down, yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. By the way, years ago, I'm old enough to remember, there was a group called Boney M. And they sang that first verse as a rock song. And all these foolish Christians thought, isn't it so wonderful to hear these people singing the Bible? We hanged our harps upon the willows in the the midst thereof. For there they that carried us away, captive, required of us a song. And they that 
wasted us, required of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. So here you have God's people taken away in captivity by the enemy. And the enemy is saying to the Lord's people, Sing us one of your songs of Zion. Did you notice their answer in verse 4? How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? I would say that to every person who tries to have a career in rock music, who claims to be a Christian, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? Everything about what you're involved with is antithetical to the gospel. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? God didn't say, mix the things of the world with a Christian profession. And I know this applies to much more than just music, but it certainly does apply to music. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And notice this, and be not conformed to this world. That's what's going on in the so-called music industry. And many who sing in churches today, they're being conformed to this world. They're conforming their musical performances to the things of the world. The songs are even written in a particular style so that they could be played only with certain types of instruments. Be not conformed to this world. You know what that literally means? Don't allow the world to press you into its mold. That's what the world's trying to do all the time. But be ye transformed. That means changed. By the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's what we ought to be doing all the time. With everything. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And we've got those verses, haven't we, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. About separation. Verses that are largely forgotten, even by some preachers, by many in church life today. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. The Gettys getting a prize from the Grammys. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial? What part hath he that believeth with an infidel? What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? The answer to all of those is none. For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and they will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you. And ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Clear lines of demarcation between the church and the world. You know when God is the subject of our singing, He's going to be getting all the glory from our singing, not us. And all of our music needs to be guided by Ephesians 5 verse 10, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. I'll close with an illustration. Many years ago, and it is many decades ago actually, 
I wasn't even yet in the ministry. But I was starting to cut my teeth as a young preacher. I'd been asked a few times to preach and made a, a stab at it. Probably wasn't all that great, but however, I did my best. And I remember at a youth meeting that I was asked to speak at, I was, I think, from memory, I think I was 19 years of age myself. At that meeting, I told the young people who were there about my own testimony. That as a, a, an earlier teenager, when I was about 14, 15, I had a lot of trouble with listening to rock music. I was listening to it all the time. Kids at school listened to it. I listened to it. I had my own record collection. That shows you how long ago that was. And I had all this stuff. And the Lord convicted my heart about it. I was at a meeting where someone spoke about the negative and ill effects of rock music on the life of a young person and telling us you will never, ever go on with God while you keep that idol in your life. And that really broke my heart. I went home and I smashed all my records in pieces. Smashed them all. Threw them in the trash. And I, I related this story to the young people there. There's a young man there. His parents were missionaries from America. He came to me afterwards. I think it was about 16. Something like that. And he said, he said that, that was really convicting. That was so convicting. Because what you described, that's me. What you described in your life, that's me. He said, I'm going to go home tonight. I'm going to smash my record collection. I'm going to get rid of the rock music out of my life. Because it's doing me harm. And I praise the Lord for that. Fast forward maybe six months or eight months later. I saw that young man. And it was obvious just looking at him. That things were not right. Something wasn't right. I knew he's not going on with God. So I went up to speak to him. And he, he kind of hung his head in, in shame. And I said, mentioning his name, how are things, how are you doing? He said, well, not so good. He said, I'm listening to the rock music again. I've got a whole collection of it again. I said, what happened? He said, after that meeting I went home and I, I smashed up all my record collection, got rid of it all. And I decided I was going to start listening to my mum and dad's Christian music. And when I played my mum and dad's albums, I was hearing the same kind of music as I had been listening to, except the words were different. He said, so I just kind of drifted back in to listen to the rock music, and here I am. See, folks, that's why it's so dangerous. That's why it's so dangerous. The world will offer something better than what this faux Christian music offers. It's aping the world, it's copying the world, and most people have enough brains to figure out it's not as good as the world's original stuff. So we're not going to go for the Christian fake rock music, we're going to go for the real McCoy, we're going to have the real stuff. That's what happens. And that is why it's so dangerous. When you get rid of the ungodly music, you then create a vacuum. And a vacuum is not a good thing to have in your life. You must fill 
your vacuum with something that's wholesome and good. And so may the Lord help us in our musical choices to remember this. May it reflect who we are as believers and may we prove what is acceptable unto the Lord.